Ooh, that's awesome music. I don't know if I can deliver now. Hey, it's good to see each of you here today. I'm Rick Schonkweiler. I am the senior minister of White Oak Christian Church. And we are in the midst of our new series called Made for More. As we start into this new year, we started thinking about what is it that, that really is happening in our lives. And for some of us, it's just difficult. For some of us, it's kind of plain. And for some of us, we wonder what it's all about. But today, what I want to take a look at for a minute is when we start thinking about being made for more, first of all, I have to think about who am I? Who am I? How has God designed me? What has he done in my life? What, who do people say that I am? And so that's what this box is all about here. Some of you are wondering why I have a caterpillar box up here. Yeah, I actually own a pair of caterpillar work boots. For some of you, you're all going, right, the preacher has caterpillar work boots. Exactly right. (laughs) But when you think about yourself, you think about who, how did people see you when you were a kid? How did they see you as a young adult? How did they see you as a middle-aged adult? Now I'm getting into those senior years. I'm not there yet, but I'm getting into those senior years. And how do people view me today? It wasn't really hard when I was a kid and I brought up the baseball because I was viewed as an athlete when I was a kid. When I was in high school, I earned nine letters at our high school in three different sports Played college basketball, for those of you who are Ohio State fans, sorry about the lost Indiana, ha, ha, ha. Moving along. Okay, but that's how I was defined. I was viewed as an athlete, and and, and if you went back to my hometown, because it's so stinking small, it'd be true today, and you said, who's Rick Schonkweiler? They would say, an athlete. No, he's an old man who's getting gray hair. That's really who he is. But that's how I was viewed at that point in time. And sometimes, too, I was viewed as a student because I had very good grades. And, and um, yeah, I'm not going to go any deeper into that. For those of you who are wondering who you are as a student or as an athlete, as a grade schooler or as a middle schooler or as a high schooler, be aware there'll be a day when that goes away. Now, I do play golf a little bit, but a couple of you play with me, and you know I really don't play, with go- play golf. I dig a lot of holes. That's really what I do at this point in time. But as I moved into my, middle adult, or my young adult times, I was married to Nancy, and I continue to be married to her. Her family were all construction roofers. I hate heights. So how do they define me? They defined me by how well I could use a hammer and... This is what really blew them up. I used work gloves. None of them used work gloves. How many of you are in construction? You know, only the wimps wear work gloves. I mean, that was the challenge. So I'm wearing work gloves. And that's one of the standing uh, jokes in our family today is the fact that anytime Rick goes into Home Depot, Rural King, any of those places, the first place he goes is to look at the gloves, not to the power tools. Now, I got all those, but that's the reality of that thing. In my middle age uh, of my adult years, I was a staffer at a number of a couple of churches, and so it was my job to water the disciples. Oh, that was bad. I'll throw that one away. Moving right along. And then, you know, in this part of my time, I brought up just this little, little kit that holds all of our, our microphones and so on and so forth. And now I'm seen as a speaker, and a number of people would say, oh yeah, Rick Schunkweiler, he's the preacher at White Oak Christian Church. Uh, all those are ways in which I'm viewed, and yet, are they the real me? Are they the real me? How do I know what the real me is? Because all of those are things that I do, but before I do, I have to be, and who is me? And that's what we're going to look at here for a few minutes this morning. About 15 years ago, I was speaking at a men's retreat out in 
um, central northern California in the Redwood country. And we were in a break time, and so some of the guys said, hey, let's go walk out into the woods. It'd be great just to see what the Redwoods are like and what's going on out there. And I said, okay, you know, I'm up for that. Off we go out into the state park that we were in, and uh, I began to realize that I had recognized this same tree about three times as we're walking. Eventually, it's getting closer to dinner time, and I turned to one of the guys and said, you know, we ought to probably be heading back. And they all looked at each other and said, does anybody know where we are? No. One guy said, well, I think I know where we are. I said, well, all I know is we're in California in the Redwood Forest. Sure enough, we were lost. And I am thinking, oh, man, I can hardly wait. There's, it, we're going to be on the evening news group lost in the Redwoods in, in uh, California. Uh, three weeks later, they find our bleached bones after they've been picked apart by the bobcats and other things that are living there. And I'm thinking, I, we're dead. We're just dead. And one of our guys pulls out a phone. I hadn't seen one of these phones like this before. I, you know, I had the tip, typical flip phone back there 15, 20 years ago. He pulls out this phone. He says, wait a minute. I have this app on my phone that is supposed to connect to the GPS. I didn't even know what GPS was at that point in time. Sure enough, he clicks on, points out, we are standing here. And he says, the, we're going to go that way and we'll be at the cabins in about five minutes. <laughs> yeah, right. You're looking at your phone. You're going to find the way. Sure enough, five minutes later, we're at the cabins. What, what happened? We didn't know where we were. We knew what we were doing. We didn't know who we were. We were looking for a direction. And the only way we could get that was from outside ourselves. None of us had that information. One of the things I realized about who I am, I don't have the information in me as to who I am. Oh, I have the picture of who I hope I am. I have all these kinds of things that I think about myself. But I can only find out who I am from outside sources. And the challenge is I have to look at a source that is reliable, not at a source that's going to lie to me. Because let me tell you, particularly young people, you have so many sources of information around you that are lying to you about who you are. You're just a speck of dust, that you have no purpose, that maybe if you just make a lot of money, you'll be okay. If you get the right job, you'll be okay. If you get good grades, you'll be okay. Sorry, Mom and Dad, I didn't mean to throw you under the bus on that one. But a number of other kinds of things, but there's only one reliable outside source. We're going to look at him in just a few minutes. You know, it was interesting as I was, as I was thinking through this aspect. Here's what I learned. No one is, can be authentic by trying to be someone else. Your true north is based on what is important, most important to you. Your most cherished values, your passions and motivations, the sources of satisfaction in your life. And I submit that none of those lead to true north until you are under the lordship of the creator of the universe, the one who rose from the dead that we just got through singing about, which was Jesus. So what makes your true north? Nathan was challenging us this week in our staff meeting to pay attention to what true north is. How do you know the direction of the true north in your life? I was doing a little bit more reading as I went along. You may be surprised to know that 50% of your DNA is the same as a banana. So turn to the person next to you and say, you're mush. No, that, that's really a challenge. And you know what? I would expect that from a creator who is efficient and powerful and, and so forth. We, all living things, share a huge amount of DNA. And I would expect God to be efficient in the midst of that. He's brilliant. 
and how he created us. Believe it or not, a chimpanzee shares 96% of the life code that you have with it. But what about two random human beings? The difference between any two people in the world is less than 1% of their DNA. And yet embedded in that 1% is jaw-dropping potential for different personalities, beautiful relationships, and bountiful dreams. That 1%, together with the peculiar combination of finely detailed surroundings that only you have ever experienced, ushers in the meaning of being uniquely you. And that 1% changes everything. So even around here, whenever I think about how we challenge you to grow, we don't want to just slot you into a volunteer position for an hour a week. We want to slingshot you into your life's calling every moment of every day of every week. Because I think this sense of understanding how unique I really am begins to empower me in a way to accomplish what God has designed for my life. Our big idea today is this. You were made for more. And I want you to personalize it. Just write it across the top of your program there. I was made for more. I don't care what's going on in your life right now. You were made for more. And the reason you're made for more, not for more busyness, not for more clutter, not for more uh, stuff that just wears you out, but really for more that sets you on a path. You bring glory and honor to God. It is amazing as you begin to connect with that. Whatever we have experienced, good or not so good, there's more. And the truth is, each and every one of us senses that. Nathan said last week that we were made for more than our past experiences. We were made for more than what we've heard or learned up to this point. We were made for more relationships. And we were made for more than how we've always done things. So I want to show you today how God has designed you. How He sees you. How, how He expects you to reach your true north. And what we've started this year is a study in the book of Ephesians. And it, it's a book that's written in the New Testament. One of the shorter books. There are just six chapters and we're doing six weeks. So the challenge to you is to read a chapter a week as you go through. This week you can catch up because they're short chapters. So you can do chapter 1, 2, and 3 and be ready for next week's talk. But we, it, it's here in this Bible and it's written by a man who really thought he knew true north. You read through the book of Acts in the New Testament and you meet this character called the Apostle Paul now. And it was, he was called Saul at that time, S-A-U-L. He was a man who was a Pharisee. That means he was a Jewish religious leader. He was an individual who thought he knew what God wanted in his life. He was defined by the people who were around him, which would have been the Sanhedrin. And they gave him marching orders that he was to go to stamp out this new sect, this new religious understanding, this Jesus group of people. That was his job. And he thought it was true north because that, he was being given that by the leaders of the religious movement of his day, the Jews, and off he went. He meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, and this is an amazing experience because Jesus is dead. Jesus has been crucified. Paul says, these people are following a dead person and Jesus himself meets him on the road to Damascus. Now, Damascus is in the news today. That's Syria. So whenever you hear them talk about Syria on the news, that's where Paul had his life-changing experience. 
he realizes that Jesus really raised from the dead. And you'll notice when you read throughout the New Testament, you even read about the history at that time, no one ever gave a good answer to prove that Jesus had not raised from the dead. In fact, they tried every which way to Sunday to prove that he was not alive. And over and over and over again, just as we sang a few minutes ago, we serve the one who's raised from the dead. Man, let me tell you, if somebody's raised from the dead, you better pay attention to them, and you better pay attention to the people who are connected to them. And that's what goes on here in this book of Ephesians as we, as we read this. Here's Paul. He thought he was doing what God wanted him to do, but he missed the mark. He's merely following what he learned from others. And so my challenge to you is, one of the reasons we challenge you to read the Word is so that you don't miss the mark. And you don't just simply take Rick's word for it or Nathan's word for it or Chris's word for it or Darren's word for it or fill in the blank, any of our elders' word for it. You are seeing this is what God has said. God's doing something radical in his life for him to point to true north. And that's true for us. We need God to do something radical in our lives. I'm not downplaying the fact that many of us make a decision to follow Jesus between the ages of 4 and 14. I'm not downplaying the fact that many of us were raised by godly parents. I'm not downplaying the fact that many of you were raised in a Sunday school or attended a Christian school or a parochial school and you heard about the Word of God all the way through your life. I am saying that we do not arrive at true north by mimicking anyone else. So Paul writes, writes these words to people who needed to understand why their compass pointed north. And we're in the second chapter of, of Ephesians today, and we're going to begin with the fourth verse there. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to it. If you have your electronic device, go ahead and get to your regular Bible on that. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7 should be up on the screen behind me here as we go. But God is so rich in mercy, Paul writes, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Just a minute, my nose is running. I apologize. That was supposed to be cue for the sound guy to take that out, but he didn't quite do that. Okay, never mind. Moving on. Here's what I want you to see today. That what Paul does in the first part of this chapter is he reminds us that we were far from God, that we were lost. Too many times as Americans, we have this idea that, <laughs> you know, we were never lost. We were never really lost. We were like, much like my walking through those California woods. I'm around with other people who believe like I believe and who talk like I talk, so I can't be lost, and yet we were dead lost. And that's true for us before we became Christians. I don't care if you grew up in a family that was close to God or whatever. Until you decide to follow Jesus, you were lost. You were far from God. And that's hard for some of us to swallow. And so Paul writes to the Ephesians, who were the Romans at that time, and the Romans were the power. They were it. And for him to say they were lost, it was hard for those people to hear it. He goes through that in those first few verses of Ephesians chapter 2. And he gets here in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 because what he's told them is there's no way you can find your way out yourself. 
And so here's what he teaches them. First of all, he says, God, God's work for us. What are, the, what are the things God did for you? You never had a chance to do. You were incapable, incapable of doing these. Here's what Paul says. First of all, he says, God loved us. Notice right there in verse 4, he says, God's so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much. It's not just that he loved us. He loved us so much. Knowing that God loves me frees me from so much anxiety. You know, if I have a lot of anxiety in my life, I'm not sure who I am. I'm not sure what my next steps are. It's often because I'm really not sure that God loves me. Can I just nail this one down for you? God loves you. He loves you so much. How do I know that? Well, we'll see a verse here in a minute. But I wanted each of our kids to know how deeply they were loved. And they, they were, there was really nothing they could do to be separated from that love. I don't care what they did. I was still in their corner. That didn't mean that there weren't consequences and discipline as a result of their actions. And that's true for me as a Christian as well. But love always, always, I wanted what was best for them. I was willing to stay up late. I was willing to work long hours. I was willing to intercede in situations in their lives. I was willing to do those things because I love them. And that's true of God. He initiated that love. I didn't love him first. You know, how do I know that? Because Romans 5, 8 says this on the screen as well. It says very simply, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us when, while we were still sinners, he was willing to enter in. He was willing to step in while I was still very far from him. Jesus died long before I was born because God knew that I would need the forgiveness of Jesus. The second thing that, that I see here that just comes out of this passage is, is that God gave us life. Notice it says, even in verse 5, even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ Jesus from the dead. So that's what's so important about the resurrection. Resurrection isn't just this, oh wow, it shows God's really powerful. Oh wow, Jesus really was telling the truth. Oh wow, no, no, no. In His resurrection, I am raised from the dead too. When I decide to follow him, his great love, he gives us life. We go from dead to alive by the resurrection of Jesus. And because it's a gift, we did not earn it. I don't have to look around and say, God, you owe me this. No, no, no. We have a freedom now to live out that life. Third thing that I see in this text is that God raised us and seated us. Verse 6, he says, He raised us from the dead along with Christ Jesus and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Here's what you miss sometimes. We get caught up in the things that are happening in this world. And notice what he says already. You are already raised to life and you are already seated with Jesus in the heavenly realms. I, I love what happened this past week. Maybe you are as Anglophile as I am and you love looking at the royals, but it was interesting how Harry and Meghan said, we're done. No, no, guys, you are always royalty. That's who you are. You are Windsors. Welcome to the club. Now, that sounds a bit harsh from my standpoint, but here's, here's the reality for us. You are God's kids. You're already God's kids. The only way you can get out is the same way Harry and Meghan are getting out of the royal. They have to walk away. You can walk away. I don't understand why you ever would. I don't understand why you would say, God, I know what you say in this word. I know what you've done in my life, but it's all bogus. I'm out of here. That's really it. 
God's going to do everything he can to bring you back. He's going to put his arms around you. He's going to care for you. But that is the only place you have to walk away on purpose. It's not you stumble your You don't stumble over something. It's not your sin that just kind of blows you up at that point in time. It's when you say, God, I'm done. God says, man, I mean, that's the same thing I would say with my kids. I am always there, but when you say I'm done, there's nothing I can do. You're not going to let me into your life. And the prodigal son story is one, if if you read that again in Luke 15, dad has let his son go. Now, the minute his son turns around and comes back, his dad embraces him. I hope that's true for you if you have prodigal children. Yeah, it is hard. I cannot imagine it. But when they turn around and come back, your arms are open. And that's the same thing's true for God, that you are raised and seated with him. It's this picture of royalty. You step up to the throne of God, and you are seated with Jesus. Now, you are made for more. Fourth thing I see out of this text is this. God features us. Notice verse 7, it says, So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of incredible wealth of His grace and kindness toward us. You see, here's the deal. You become an example for God. You become one of those people that, in the midst of your family conversation, there's a legacy that's left. And God points to you If Jesus tarries and we have four or five more generations after mine, my prayer is that my great-great-great-great-grandchildren point back and say, here's what Papa Rick did. Not, Not for me, but to point them to Jesus. And it says right here that God does that with each of you. So you're made for more. It's not just right now here going through this awful stuff. I mean, one of the things that's true for me is I'm a cancer survivor. Diagnosed with prostate cancer in 2011. I'm a survivor of that. I have to tell that story. But I not only tell that story about my docs, who were amazing, but I tell that story about what God did in my life. Not everybody gets healed of cancer. Not everybody gets the the note that I got from my oncologist in June that said, I don't want to see you anymore. You're cancer-free. From my urologist who says, we're just doing normal checkups from here on out. Praise God for that. (laughs) I mean, that's amazing. But it's because of God. God features us. Can you you picture this? like God sitting in the bleachers and he points out, Hey, hey, see that kid? That's my kid. Look, look, look how he's doing. Look how she's doing. Watch this. I'm cheering. I'm cheering. Way to go. Way to go. I mean, he really gets it. And you could play that way too. That's what's going on right now, folks. You are not the center of the story. Jesus is the center of the story. But you are an illustration of the story. And will you be an illustration? Will you be made for more because of who he's made you to be? God's pointing at you and saying, I love him or her. Did you see that? Did you see that? You could do that too. Because I want to work in your life just as I've worked in Rick's life or Nancy's life or Nathan's life or Darren's life or fill in the blank Christie, all of those. Our salvation is a gift of God and God uses that to point others to himself. And so Paul writes on when you, when you see here later in verses 8 and following, here's what he says on the screen. God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It's the gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you've done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things He planned. 
for us long ago. What has God done for us? And then it says here, God works in us. We are his workmanship. You know, how do you know that a painting is a masterpiece? How do you know that a sculpture is a masterpiece? By the authentic name at the bottom of that. When it has Rembrandt, Picasso, Pizarro, Monet, Mark Theskin. Some of you know Mark. It's amazing what the name, it's about who created the masterpiece, not the masterpiece itself. And that's who you are. You are a masterpiece. Jesus is the artist. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are a masterpiece. Just go ahead and do that right now. Now, now this time turn to him and mean it. <laughs> and, and kids, this is what you're, this is what, my kids did this to me all the time whenever, whenever something was going on. And they said, you're about to discipline a masterpiece, Dad. Just think about that. What are you going to do? And, and so, kids, you can use that with your parents. Man, I'm a masterpiece. Don't be marring my image. Don't be messing this up. You are a masterpiece. That is not something I'm just kind of giving you to say, oh, self-help, enjoy. That's what the Bible says about you. You were made for a masterpiece mission. And I love how God creates and equips His people. And He uses our staff and elders and teachers to equip you for mission. It's not just sit and listen. It is to hear, to be, to love, to go, or to do, and to go. Do you hear that? It's to hear the Word of God, bring it into my life, realize it defines my being so that I can love others, I can do, and I can go. That's what He's doing in my life. I don't stand up here because I want to. I stand up here because He's designed me to. And there's things He's designed you for. It is the work of the church that we are to be about, which is equipping and sending. Second thing that he says that God's done in us is he's made us new. This is not just a remodel job. It's not, oh, you know, there were a few good things in you, Rick. No, no, no. I needed total renovation. I needed taken down to the foundation so that God could build me up. I didn't need refurbishing. I needed resurrection. In the verses at the beginning of this chapter, Paul says that we were dead before we were redeemed by Jesus he reminds us that the story is not about us, not about me. I'm not the center of this story. Jesus is. And because he is, I can be redeemed and resurrected and brought to life for his glory. So he's doing this new thing. I'm a masterpiece. I'm brand new. And then I think about how God works through us. That's what's in this text, in the 10th verse particularly. He works through us to do good works. They're defined by him. These good works are contrasted to the works of the world or of Satan that Paul notes in verses 1 and 2. You you see, a disobedient heart does not do good works of God. Both because he doesn't want to, but because he's incapable of doing those works. They're counterfeit if they're good works. Now, that's hard words to hear. I'm not referring to the care that people may have for others. No, I'm speaking of the fact that these works do not originate from me, that they are good because of this new nature that I have in Jesus. I am brand new. The works that I do are good works, the good works of God. The Holy Spirit at work in me will produce these good works. And that's why we're following up this series in the middle of February and March on the Holy Spirit. 
Because we talk about being made for more. We talk about be more, uh, love more, do more, go more. But how do we do that? We do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we'll follow this up with a series on the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Last week, Kyle got up at our Corrine campus and said, Congratulations, you have perfect attendance for 2020. I don't know if you were here last week, but welcome. You have perfect attendance for 2020. And now I've told you that I need you here for 10 weeks. Some of you go, oh my gosh, 10 weeks in a row at church? Are you crazy? Yeah. But that's what's going on. That's what we're trying to teach. And you can always pick this up at our, in our podcast on our website. Just go to T-H-E-W-O-C-C and you can listen to the message again. Get involved in your, in your life group and talk about what we've said here. So we got good works, but the second part about them is they're planned works. We don't manufacture these works. God's prepared them. And what are they? They are that we should live in such a way that the world would see Jesus. And it's exciting to discover the things that God does in and through you to bring others closer to him. You see, you are his masterpiece, and a masterpiece always reveals the artist. That's the one thing I love about the art museum or a concert. I can recognize the artist or the composer by the painting, the sculpture, or even the music, right? I mean, if you've done this enough, you go into the art museum, you go, oh, man, that's a Monet. Oh, yeah, that one over there, that's a Rembrandt. That's a Gainsborough. You can do all this name dropping because you've seen the masterpieces. You know how he paints. Or, you know, that's Michelangelo. That's David when you're walking through the Louvre. Or, or you, hear, you hear a Beethoven symphony. Symphony. Sympathy for me. I'm not a big concert goer, but symphony, right? Mozart. All those things you know because of the composer. He does similar things. Have you tried this? Have you tried that? Turn to your neighbor and say, I can see Jesus in you. Go ahead. No, they just told you that. Can they really? Are you really willing to be Jesus in their lives? That's what this good work does. What prevents us from fully living out God's call in our lives? And I think one of the things is that we see our staff as the experts and and volunteers as helpers. That's never the intention here at White Oak. The staff is here to help you on mission and ministry that God is calling you to do. And that's why we do ministry in teams. And I think the work that we're doing to develop the plans for this new building on this campus is one of those places I don't lead that team. Nathan doesn't lead that team. Steve Graham and Bill Hosler lead that team because they have expertise and abilities and things that are beyond anything that I can even make up. I mean, after I showed you my hammer and my gloves, I mean, that's about it, right? Yeah. Our groups ministry, our, our outreach ministry, our children's and student ministry, each of those has a team. Why? Because God has called you. And what about out there? The go in Scripture is for all of us. And it may not be a ministry within these walls or even within the walls of this new building that we'll have on 27. What's God calling you to do? I had somebody come up last week and said, you know, I think God's really challenging me to think about prison ministry. And how do we reach people who are far from God but who are incarcerated? I said, I don't know. But if God's calling you to that, I can help you with some people you can talk to. Well, what is it that God's laying on your heart because he's made you a masterpiece? 
Because you see, the second thing is that we tend to see ministry as only the things that happen in this building. And I know my team gets anxious whenever I start saying that. Because we're afraid all the volunteers will run out the building and not do anything here. Yeah, yeah. They're still as important as greeters and children's leaders and youth coaches and small group leaders and others are. We don't just plug holes in our program. We want to change that at White Oak and help you step into mission. Sometimes volunteerism is the mission. But sometimes it's a step into mission. What I mean by that is you get involved in ministry around here and God whets your appetite for mission and for ministry and then he calls you beyond what you've done here. And we want to be a sending church as well as an equipping church. We don't want you just to be at home base all the time. You are an army that's meant to go on the battlefield. And sometimes it's easy to do that within these walls. But we have to go. We have to go because that's where people are who are under, under the influence of the enemy. They are not the enemy. But the enemy has them under his influence. So we're asking every person here, particularly those over 16 years of age, to take an assessment that we're revealing today. It's called GPS. It stands for Gifts, Person, and Story. And we believe this is one of the best tools that you can use to discover where God is leading you to the mission in His story. And here's the instructions. And you may want to take out your, your phone, take pictures of some of the slides that are about to show up. The simplest way for you to access the assessment is for you to go to our website, T-H-E-W-O-C-C. You can use the QR code over here if that's helpful for you, but the Made for More assessment is on our website, and you can go right there, and it'll point you in that direction. If it doesn't do that clearly, let me know, and I'll go after all of our IT people for not being as astute as they tell me they are. How's that? Okay, here's some things to keep in mind while you're taking the assessment. Go to the next slide, please. The assessment can be done on your phone, your tablet, or computer. I was doing that uh, this past week. I did it a couple weeks ago, and I was showing a couple of our team members how it showed up on my phone. They go, really? I go, dude, man, I'm 66. I can do this. I know you guys are more nimble than me. I know you can figure this out. So these are some of the screens that you'll see when you pop up on your phone or on your tablet or even on your computer. Next slide. Here's what we know. Number one, you need to carve out some time. It's going to take 20 to 30 minutes to do this, but it, is, it does save itself, and so you can go back to it. That's what step number three is. Reflect on these questions. Your influencing styles are listened to under your passion and your results. There are some questions where you answer them, and you have to write out sentences to do that because it will help you understand what it is that God's wired you to be. Third thing is you can come back to it, and that's where you can see it. there's... The, the things do tell you, um, it's, it's intuitive, it'll, blow, it'll show it to you. There's no purchase necessary, the assessment is free, and there's a book that's recommended as an email. You don't need to buy that in order to find out uh, how God is wiring you. Next slide. We want you to know our results. My, mine said that leadership and giving is mine. Nathan's is leadership <laughs> Surprising, right, that Nathan would be leadership? Uh, but wisdom, now that's the one that got me real quick. I go, Nathan? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. That's why he's the next senior pastor at White Oak Christian Church right there, man. Let me tell you right off the bat. I am excited about that one. You know, Kevin is wisdom and knowledge, and that, that's pretty fun to, to listen and talk to Nathan and Kevin about that. We, we, I'm looking at Darren's. I'm like checking out. Uh, <laughs> Chris's is is uh, uh, joking and goofiness, but we still put him up there. No, I'm just... <laughs> yeah. 
It's going to be fun. And, and what happens is your results are revealed back to us as a church, not so that we can call you and be CIA and you know, follow you around and challenge you in that way, but so that we can challenge you to jump into the places where God gives you. You'll get those results, but we only receive the results when you've completed 100%, and it will say on the screen you're 100% done. All right? You need to get to 100%. Please do that, because this will help us equip and empower you. It's important that we receive your results so we can come alongside and help you in your next steps. We have several things planned for follow-up. You would receive an email after you finish this from White Oak that says, here are some of the next steps. It could be gathering with a group to discuss your results. could be meeting one-on-one with a coach. could be jumping into ministry and starting a new ministry area. One of the things that happened several years ago is one of our folks got very excited when Tim Tebow talked about Night to Shine, came to me and said, I think we can do Night to Shine. I go, what? Well, what's Night to Shine? It's reaching out to adults with special needs. They have nothing going on here in greater Cincinnati. I said, go for it. We reach about 100, 110 adults first, Saturday, first Friday in, in uh, February. If you want to be a part of that, notice that on your uh, connection card and turn that in. It, it's a Friday night. Uh, we give you some training and equipping. You have to do a background check, but you get to be a part of an amazing thing. Uh, it's grown to a second location out north of the city, a couple of locations south of the river. We're trying to expand it out. Uh, west from here as well, because how do we reach people who need to be encouraged that they're made in the image of God when everything around them says they're broken and they're far away from most people? That's what Night to Shine does. Well, that came out of a person jumping in after the bee wiring. There may be, there'll be a specific section on our website dedicated to helping you better understand your assessment results. And there again... There will be gathering where you can meet with others to discuss and learn your results. Home Depot says this. Many years ago, they set themselves apart from other stores when they adopted a new slogan. And they said this, you can do it, we can help. Churches for years operated under a we can do it, you help us mentality. But here at White Oak, here's two things that are true. We want to be an equipping place and we want to help you discover and accomplish your masterpiece mission. I tell you. When I sat down and took the assessment, it was empowering to be asked the questions about my heart and my ability. You can see, as we saw earlier, my results. And there are a couple more in there that God's using me in the future after my retirement from full-time here. Our prayer is that by helping you discover or be reminded of your creative mission, that we will take Jesus to the world. Because here's the truth. We heard this last week. He will fill everything in every way. And this week, you were made for more. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning and for the way in which you teach us and lead us. Now guide us in Jesus' name. Amen.